When we block buses, we want to be able to keep them out the full time that that bus is useful. We prefer to change out drivers and not change out buses. So we're looking at inductive charging for fast charging out in the field at one of our three transfer stations. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged In-Depth this week with Tom Hinkson, Director of Transit for Everett Transit out in the state of Washington on the West Coast of the United States. Tom, so great to have you with us today on the show. Thank you, Paul. Yes. So, um, Tom, give us a little bit about your transit agency. Kind of give us the context of where you're at. Probably everybody knows where Seattle is, so maybe maybe in relationship to Seattle. And then uh, tell us some about your your city and your setup there. So, on a good traffic day, Paul, we're about 30 minutes north of Seattle. Uh, we're the largest city north of Seattle until you get closer to the Canadian border. Our transit agency serves a, a city of about 34 square miles, and we operate primarily within that boundary, a little bit on the outside to make connections with a local ferry system. But other than that, we stay within the city. We have 41 fixed route buses and 24 paratransit vehicles, and we operate out of a single operating base. Do you operate the service yourself or do you contract some of it out? It is all in-house. We have no contracted work. That's a good, interesting. Um, and our, tell us about the structure of the agency. You're part of the city government, right? That's correct. Everett Transit is a department of the city, but we are separately funded through sales tax, dedicated sales tax. We receive no money from the city for operating assistance, but we pay the city for the services that we cannot procure ourselves. So I don't have an HR department, but I pay the HR department some money. Same thing with legal, purchasing, all the other things that we don't do, including motor vehicles. Our vehicles are serviced by another city division. That sounds very similar to the first uh, transportation system I ran in my 20s. We were part of the county government and same kind of thing. The Department of Public Works maintained my vehicles, you know, and those kind of things. And about how many um, administrative employees do you have and, and then operating employees? We have about 100 operating employees, fixed route and paratransit, and administrative, we have a total of about 155 employees. Okay. So that administrative group includes our customer service folks, a couple of technicians that specialize in working on our electric fleet, and everything else that you would expect to have in a transit. Yeah. Yep. We have our own paratransit schedulers and dispatchers those kinds of things. So that makes up part of that non-driving group. Yeah, that's great. Unionized? All unionized. Uh, yeah. Everybody except we, what we call here the appointive employees are not unionized, but everybody right. else. Have two unions, ATU and ASME. That makes sense. So as the uh, director of transit, who do you report to? I report to an executive director who reports directly to the mayor. But uh, all of the directors have somebody that they report to on their way to the mayor sure. or part of the mayor's cabinet. And how big is your city population-wise? About 110,000. And uh, how long have you been there in your role? I've been director for 16 and a half years. I've been with the city for 24 years. And the transit system, has it? did you start it? Did it start with you as the first... Uh, Director no, or? that's oh, okay. that's a really interesting story by itself, Paul. 
Everett Transit dates back to 1893 when Everett Transit showed up as a business name. Okay. And it was operated as so many other systems as a private company. Then in December of 1969, the city bought it from two uh, carriers and became an in-house system and it's been that way ever since. That's really interesting, isn't it? Um, uh, I did a lot of research on public transportation, especially in the United States, for my children's picture book uh, called Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond. Uh, as you know, Tom, I used to be CEO of the MTA in Baltimore. And of course, b Railroad, it started right next to my offices, basically. And so I used to go over there and got a lot of history. And I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate how public transportation, kind of the history uh, of it, you know, you're near Seattle, and so Sound Transit's near there. So the former CEO of Sound Transit, uh, I just ran into him recently at a conference, and I asked him. I said, um, I give a quote a lot of times, and I attribute it to you, and it is, uh, "If you've seen one transit system, you've seen one transit system." And he said, "Yes, that's true. That is my quote." I said, "It's so good because the history of transit in each city." is so unique. Public transportation really had its heyday in the 1950s when all the men came back from World War II and there was these private companies, a lot of times run by the utility companies, like the power companies, because they had the catenary wires, electric, they had the power. And then as people got more cars in the 60s, by the early 70s, most of these companies decided they couldn't make a profit anymore at it. And so that's when they sold it or they went bankrupt in in some cases. Uh, and the state or the city picked up their assets. And that sounds like what happened in your in your city, Tom. It is. And interestingly enough, uh, since the city has its own utility, which is the water service, water and sewer, the original holder of Everett Transit as a division of the utility department and the original funding source was utility billing. And it wasn't until 1976 that legislature gave cities the ability to collect sales tax for dedicated transit. And that's when Evertransit started becoming funded from that source. Interesting. How much, like, is it a half a cent or how much is the uh, dedicated? Uh, it originally was three-tenths of 1%, and we're currently at six-tenths of 1%. We raised it in 2004. And how much money does that bring in? Well, last year was pretty good, but we're we're looking at about twenty four thousand or twenty four million a year. I was going. You're not going to get much done on twenty four thousand. No, <laughs> you know, no, no. twenty four million, and then yeah. you, you get federal funds. I'm sure, and some state money, maybe. Uh, we get federal money uh, mostly for capital projects. Right, right. We get, yeah. we get formula money. We're part of the Puget Sound UZA, so yes. we actually compete with the big big boys to get any serious money for buses. We're competing with Sound Transit and King County Metro yeah. <laughs> at same spot. Yeah, so. Julie, Julie's doing. She's you know she's an East Coaster. She was out here with me in in Richmond, uh, and I'm so excited for her there at Sound Transit now. I think she's doing a great job. I mean, they've got such a big capital budget there. Talk about uh, soaking up the funds. Huh? Something that is unique just in this last year, legislature wanted all youth to ride for free, and so they established a, a 16 year program which distributed a fund of money throughout the state to all transit agencies. And our piece of that pie is about $2 million a year. $2 okay. million. So we traded $100,000 of potential revenue 
for about two million, and we thought that was a pretty good trade. Yeah. So uh, that that was. Other than that, we wouldn't get state uh, support. We do get some state support. Another formula grant that we get to support paratransit, and it covers maybe a quarter of the costs of operations. Okay. And um, your uh, how's your? Tell me about fare policy. That's a hot topic right now across the country. Sure. You know. Well, we we have three uh, fare categories that provide a reduced price or zero price. So I already mentioned all students age 18 and under ride for free. And we have a regional reduced fare program, which is kind of a state authorized program. And for us, that's only 50 cents then if you qualify for that. So seniors and people at a regional reduced fare permit ride for 50 cents. Then uh, we have a, uh, it's called the Orca Lift program. It's tied to our regional fare card. And that's a dollar for people who qualify at a certain financial level. And then we just partnered with King County Metro and Sound Transit for an annual prepaid pass for people at a very low level of income. Oh, that's good. So they can across all three agencies ride? Yes. Oh, that's great, Tom. Yeah, that's real good. And what's your claim to fame as an as a transit agency, would you say? I think in the Pacific Northwest, for the the agency that's so small, we punch above our weight, particularly in adoption of electric vehicles. We currently have nine electric vehicles in service, and we recently accepted 10 more. So that's nearly half of our fleet is electric at this point. We're on target to be fully electrified on our fixed route by 2028. We would be sooner. But I had to rebuild a couple of diesel buses, so it extended the useful life a little longer than I wanted. Otherwise, we'd probably hit that target by 2025. Uh, We are investing in inductive charging as a way to address the range anxiety. Uh, Explain that. Explain what that is. A lot of people don't understand. When we block buses, we want to be able to keep them out the full time that that bus is useful. We prefer to change out drivers and not change out buses. Something unique about Evertransit is that since we don't have a really big service area, we've operated more like a school district where the driver takes their own individual bus, they bid their bus, and then uh, for the most part, they'll do their morning trip, they'll bring the bus in, the next driver will take maybe that same bus out for the next trip because we're close enough, we're able to do that. But uh, we found with our first batch of electric buses that we're not really getting the full value of a a bus. We're getting about 70% usefulness out of our electric buses just because of battery range. So uh, the range anxiety here is we want to be able to leave that bus out there as long as possible. So we're looking at inductive charging for fast charging out in the field at one of our three transfer stations. We're hoping then that we'll be able to adopt a business model that most transit agencies use, I think, where the driver is exchanged and not the bus. So tell us what induction charging is, though. I think that's... Sure. So inductive charging is... I'm not a mechanical engineer, but I do understand that I have a plate on the ground and I have a plate on the bus. And when they align, there is energy transferred. And so we're able to recharge the battery that way. Like at a transfer right. station while it's sitting there waiting? Exactly. Um, yeah. We tell everybody while the driver is taking a break, the, the bus will be charging. Does it charge your cell phone too? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I have something else. 
Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So we, we're just now in the process of getting all of that installed. We, we had limited parking capability in our main base. So we had to put in 10 of those chargers in our main base down the center of our parking strip. Otherwise, we park up against the wall. So we're able to just back up and use those chargers, cabinet chargers, typical cabinet chargers, which are a lot less expensive and, and easy to use. But inductive charging creates this other opportunity for us. We chose inductive charging instead of the, the overhead pantograph type because of limited space that I have out at the various sites. It was easier for us to put it underground than it was for us to put it above ground. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, what other issues uh, are hot right now for you in the spring of 2023? Space. I need more space. So we're actively looking for places where we can expand our bus parking. We have adequate office space, but we need a new maintenance facility to really support an electric fleet. So we're in the process of trying to find a, an appropriate space that's close enough to our current operating base that it will feel like an extension and not some remote space. So that's, that's our biggest challenge right now. We've been very fortunate in recruiting and retaining employees, so that is not one of my big concerns. I know that's not true all around the world, but we've been very fortunate. And that's I'm great. Happy on that. The other thing that's unique about Everett Transit is though we are small, we host one of the largest transit facilities in the region called Everett Station. So it's the northern terminus of Sound Transit and uh, four other transit agencies that converge at this point to continue their commuter trip to Seattle or or Bellevue, which is a suburb, eastern suburb of of Seattle. So that's part of what we do is uh, maintain this building. And that's where I'm officed. I look right down on the railroad track and see trains come by all day long. That's pretty cool. And how did you get into this role, Tom? You said you work for the city a lot longer than you've actually been there, although you've been there quite a while. Well, I've been director for 16 plus years, but I started in transit here uh, at the city. But my my transit career goes back to 1983, and I started as a part-time bus driver at King County Metro. Wow. And then after about six months... um, my full-time job situation changed, and so I wanted to continue being a part-time driver, so I went to Community Transit, which is in Snohomish County, where I live, and I, I worked there for 10 years, worked my way up from driving into service uh, scheduling and service planning, and I took about six and a half years to work mm-hmm. in school bus transportation, both at the local and state level, and then I came here to the city in 1999. That's great. And what do you have planned for the future for your agency in the next coming few years? Anything big? I know you mentioned you're going to be getting probably 100% of your fleet going to battery electric. Any other big plans? That's not big enough. That's big. Yeah. I think that you know, we are still very, that that's our plan for the fixed route. Uh, we are still very interested in an electric solution for paratransit, watching the market to see what might be available in the future might get one or two vehicles to test out. And then, you know, kind of the the big conversation for us as a city, and this is directed by our city council, is whether or not it is time to think about how Everett will be able to serve a light rail community. So light rail is coming to Everett by 2037, at least the southern edge of of Everett, and, and then by 
the latest 2041 to get here to Everett Station. Is that from Sound Transit doing That's that? That's from Sound Transit. Yeah, Julie told me about that. Yeah, and it's it's a huge uh, activity. And of course, all of the transit agencies are adjusting how they will serve to feed those stations along the way. And for us to be the northern terminus for foreseeable future. So we are limited legally on our sales tax capability to nine-tenths of 1%. And then our partner you know, neighboring agencies, community transit, they are 1.2%. And so there is an elongated study to figure out whether or not it makes sense for the city to join with community transit. That would have to be a vote of the Everett voters to essentially double their transit sales tax, but hopefully then to also near double their transit service opportunity. You guys are neighboring communities? Yes. Yeah. Throughout. So we, we are the largest city in our county. And there's another agency right next door, actually, the, the office in the city of Everett. But uh, that's community transit. They serve all the rest of the county and then have a very large commuter service to Seattle and Bellevue. And they are also partnered with Sound Transit for some of those services. We have, you know, maintained our independence as a city run system for a very, very long time. And the council last year, after looking at how transit is working, and we do a really good job, but we are just limited to what we can do with our resources. So we're at a crossroads. If we maintain independence, we need to make some huge capital investments in order to do that well. If we don't maintain independence, that burden kind of shifts to to uh, community transit, but they have the infrastructure for the most part, to to absorb us. But it's a huge ask. Yeah. To have a community that is traditionally very tax adverse. Remember I told you that the first tax was 1976 and then yeah. the most recent increase to that tax was 2004. Took a while to get there. But uh, it's, a, it's a conversation that we're having. It's not without controversy. Our union is very much against it. They... They feel that it's a loss of independence, and there's a myriad of reasons. We have successfully partnered with Community Transit on a bus rapid transit line that uh, has been operating for more than, well, it's almost 12 years now. And uh, it's been hugely successful and created a new opportunity for customers in the city of Everett to, to travel across the, the, the artificial borders, right? Uh, eliminated, eliminated transfers in, I would consider, a pretty dangerous location for having to, to do that. But whether or not the city is ready to take that big leap, I don't know. It's kind of a, but that's, I wouldn't say it's the cloud over our head. It could be the golden opportunity in our future. It will be up to the voters to decide. Ultimately, it'll be up to our city council to decide whether or not they even want to ask the question. It is unique in this city. Um, Council has the authority over two specific things, setting fares and determining the rate of sales tax to be asked. Everything else is by city charter delegated to the mayor. It's a strong mayor government. And then the mayor in turn gives most of that authority back to the transit. Interesting. Last question is, how is the system doing in its recovery from the pandemic ridership wise? 
I think for our region, we're doing pretty well. Our fixed drought is about 75 to 80% of where we were pre-COVID. Paratransit is still right around 50 or so percent. We're not using near as many buses as we used to. But I think we've kind of reached a, a little bit of a plateau. Plateau, yeah. Yeah, I'm hearing yeah. that everywhere. 75, 80 percent. Yeah. We did see a pretty big shot in the arm when we went fare free with youth. We saw an increase in youth ridership. We are adding service, though. A lot of people are not adding service, and we're adding service this June and hired six additional drivers to do that. That doesn't sound like much, but for us, and we went from 65 to 71 drivers. That's first time we had over 70 drivers in probably five, six years. Yeah, it's a 10% increase, too. That's something. Well, that's good, Tom. Thanks so much for sharing with us some about your transit system. Anything else you want to share at the end here? I would just say that, you know, this has been is the the best career in the world. I'm at the point in my career where I I see people coming up through the system and I I see where I was, where they are once upon a time. And it's just a great opportunity to help people find their their legs in this business. And we have some great talent coming up. I have really strong hopes for the future in this industry. I've had family members discover transit in the last few years. And something that you know, wasn't in our blood, but I think it's in our future. Excellent. Tom Hinkson, Director of Transit for Everett Transit. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged and sharing your story. Best wishes as you continue to grow your operation and advance it. Thank you, Paul. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Transit Kindness Advocate, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. Well, it was exciting listening today to guest Tom Hinkson, whom again reminded us of exactly what leadership and industry is responsible for on a daily basis. Many folks in the public simply look at transit as, where's my ride? And that's okay. Transit's about moving people. However, Tom discussed the many aspects that go into the end result, local policy, taxation, funding processes, fair policy, workforce development, etc., all while continuing to be on the cutting edge of industry technology and innovation and trying to keep the agencies moving forward. Tom passionately talks about all these items, along with Everett's commitment to the momentum on their zero emissions fleet adoption. Truly inspiring. But what inspired me the most was the way Tom ended today's conversation. After talking about how he started in the industry as a part-time operator, working his way through multiple positions, planning, scheduling, school bus, and eventually into the role he's in today, he ended with this statement. He had the best career in the world, an opportunity to help others, an opportunity to see other great talent coming up, and he's excited about the future in the industry. Again, parlaying and syncing directly with the message from Transit Unplugged, mentorship, kindness, and leadership. Leadership is always inspiring. We always learn when someone shares. So thanks, Tom, for sharing. And lastly, when we talk about kindness and sharing, I wanted to spend a special nod out to Danny, the tour bus operator on a local tour I had on a recent vacation who enhanced the whole experience and truly set the bar for an operator. Kindness is cool. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to cook something special out of the upcoming cookbook. What a great interview with Tom Hinkson. It's, we are, as you know now on Transit Unplugged, well past 250 interviews. And I've visited probably 80 transit systems now around the world in doing these podcasts for a long time. We were doing them in person. And then during the pandemic, of course, we had to do them virtually. And now we're back doing them in person. And because I visited all these cities and had great food and uh, enjoyed the culture of their cities, a friend of ours on the podcast, Mike Bismeyer, came to me and he said, Paul, you want to do a cookbook 
based on you know, some of the best food you've had in all these restaurants around the world. And, you know, and I said, I gotta, I'll take it one step further. How about I ask the CEOs of the transit systems or the executives, the transit influencers that I met with in all these cities doing this podcast, how about I ask them to give me their favorite original recipe? It could be a family recipe or a recipe that represents their region, you know, or their country, uh, and then have pictures of themselves uh, in their own kitchen making the food and share the stories behind the food, the personal side. And so that's what I've been working on for the last about six or nine months, and it is now out. Comfort Food, my first cookbook. It's a public transportation celebrity cookbook. It's a fun new book uh, available on ebook or the glossy color hardback book, the first hardback book I've ever done. They're available now on Amazon. The book includes favorite and family recipes from more than 32 top public transportation executives around the world. It features these fun stories. I mean, um, buddy of mine, Josh Meller, who has a recipe for scotch eggs in the book. His story is just fascinating how he took a sailboat ride with friends down the coast of England and ended up in a storm having to pull into a harbor and they ate some food there at a local restaurant. He had the best scotch eggs he'd ever had in his life and kind of his journey of how scotch eggs have become a big part of his life since then. It's just a great uh, a read, lots of fun stories and great leaders and uh, people who've been on this podcast, including folks like Steve Bland, the CEO of Nashville, uh, we go. Michael Hirsch, the CEO of AC Transit in Oakland. Melinda Metzger, the CEO of Pace Transit. Alea Carey and Mike Bismar, you know, participants in our show. Gary Waits from National Express, the CEO there. John Donlin, the CEO of Userve. Sherry Little, good friend of mine who's the former FTA administrator. And Misha Wanick-Libman, who's editor-in-chief of Mass Transit Magazine. These are the type of people who have allowed us to kind of see behind the curtain into their personal lives. Bridget Beato, who is CEO of Luminor Consulting and vice chair of Women in Transportation, WTS. Johnny Simkin, the CEO of Swiftly. Martin Bean, the CEO of Rome Transit and Banff, who I just visited recently uh, on our trip to the Vancouver area. Alex Wiggins, who was CEO in New Orleans and now is in uh, San Diego working for MV Transportation. Inmar and Blanca Lazama, who used to work with me and when I was the CEO of MTA in Baltimore and also when I worked at WMATA for MV Transportation. And um, they now own restaurants. And so they've given us some great El Salvadoran food. Uh, and then, of course, I have my own recipe in there. My story is, you know, interesting. I, I was trying to f- come up with a recipe that would be a connection to something in transit. And my very first job, which I started back in the late 80s, I was transportation coordinator at the Queen Anne's County Department of Aging, and I would have monthly staff meetings with all our drivers. And, um, you know, it was a, we had a small group, 15 people or something like that. And so Miss um, Lois would bring a recipe. She was one of our drivers, uh, well into her 70s at the time, I think. And uh, she did the long range trips for us, actually, taking people in a minivan to Baltimore, to the Wilmer Eye Clinic and places like that. I would hang with them all day, make sure they could you know, navigate these big hospitals. We provided those type of services back then. And um, anyway, she used to bring a recipe called sweet potato fluff. And it's like a real uh, delicious fluffed up uh, sweet potatoes, kind of like mashed potatoes, but fluffier with sweeter with a topping on top of nuts and and cinnamon and and uh, all kinds of different flavors. Anyway, so that's, she gave me the recipe and my wife's made it for me a lot of times over the years because I loved it so much. It's what I call an almost dessert, but it's a side dish. Then we take a look at our international folks and they include Howard Collins, who now is Secretary uh, for Transport for New South Wales in Australia. He was um, working at the New South Wales Transit Agency. Henry Lee, my good friend who's CEO of Sacramento RTD, gives us a Chinese recipe. Andrew Bada 
who was head of UITP here in North America, still works for them. He gives us Hungarian, a Hungarian recipe from his homeland. David Scori, CEO of Keolis North America, lives in Boston, but from you know United Kingdom. And so he gives us a great British recipe. And James Grasshoff, my good friend from Trapeze UK, from Wales, gives us a Welsh recipe. John Rassant, industry leader, CEO of Comotion and New Cities, gives us a great recipe, an Italian recipe. Josh Meller, as I mentioned from Trapeze UK, gives us a recipe for Scott. Eggs. Lila Francis uh, gives us uh, Australian banana bread. Uh, she works with Keola. Simon Reed, the head of technology and transport services for Transport for London, has pictures of his mom making British pasties. And Magda Robertson, uh, the COO of Auckland One Rail in New Zealand. Uh, Beba Cornette from Binary Systems in Italy. Esme Jensen, my friend from uh, Trapeze up in um, Canada, gives us a great recipe from her homeland of the Philippines. And Samantha Abidera, who's the new head of transport for Brisbane, Australia, also gives us um, Anzac biscuits, I think, was her recipe. So lots of great... I was thinking what people could do is, you know, because we've got... uh, uh, all these recipes, uh, Steve Bland actually starts off with a cocktail, Steve Smoked Sipper, probably the most detailed recipe in the whole book, four or five pages of how to cook, you know, how to uh, do the wood and, and smoke the glasses and how to do the ice. And it's just phenomenal. So you could make an international transit dinner for your uh, workmates or your family, you know, with some recipes from America, some from you know, Australia or England or Asia. And it could be a fun time. Uh, and it is, it's a lot of fun. It's hardback, glossy. It's, I think, 117 pages long. It's available on Amazon now, as I mentioned, uh, the hardback book as well as the um, ebook. And it is a great celebration of all things transit. You know, my final thoughts on this are, as you know, what we try to do here on Transit Unplugged is we try to shine the light on transit CEOs and executives and influencers and the great things they're doing. And I wanted to give them an opportunity to show their personal side, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, so that's what this book is. It takes us into their own kitchen. You get to see what they're like kind of, you know, when they're not on the news announcing, you know, a brand new rail line or whatever. This is their opportunity to kind of show their personal side and represent in a lot of places their country uh, or their region with food from that area with original recipes. I think you'll enjoy it. I have certainly enjoyed making it and and, uh, getting to know these executives a lot more. Thank you for each week being a a loyal listener to us here on Transit Unplugged and supporting the great work of these transit executives and leaders in the work they do to promote public mobility, enabling people to get to all of life's opportunities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged with our special guest, Tom Hingson, Director of Everett Transit. We're all very excited about the launch of Paul's newest book, Comfort Food. Check out the link in the show notes for where you can pick up your copy and get something cooking. Coming up next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we have Aaron Weinstein of Transit CX talking about building and enhancing customer experience both inside and outside of your agency. Let's hear a little bit from that interview. If you build something that's meeting customer needs, they will come. What we offer the public has to be user-friendly. It has to be time competitive. It has to feel safe and it has to feel clean. So if we offer what the public is looking for, yes, ridership will be automatic. Also on the show next week, Paul is chatting with Brandon Bartnick, General Manager of Edison Manufacturing and Engineering and the host of the Future of Mobility podcast. Paul and Brandon talk about electric vehicles, supply chains, and how to increase innovation with smaller scale manufacturing so we can do more experiments in the future of mobility. Don't forget to visit transitunplugged.com 
sign up for the newsletter so you always know when the newest shows come out. If you have a question, comment, or want to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Transit Unplugged, the podcast. How would you like to see behind-the-scenes footage of the agencies that Paul visits? Then be sure to check out the new Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube, where transit evangelist Paul Comfort dives into the culture, the food, and the transit of major cities around the world. You'll see the operations control centers, how maintenance shops work, and the latest innovations taking place at agencies around the globe as we work together to improve the lives of our transit riders and our communities. Be sure to subscribe to Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube or at transitunplugged.com.